You're listening to Bible Prophecy Talk on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk, the show that tries to look at Bible prophecy soberly and with a consistent hermeneutic. I appreciate all of you that have subscribed on iTunes or any other place that you can get the RSS feed. I've got a good show for you today, though it will be kind of a short one. It will be packed with information. Um, It's a part of a project that I've been working on for the last few months. It's the debunking of the really, really popular right now blood moon theory. And that theory has just taken off. I mean, it is the most popular thing out there right now. And so I put together a lot of the information that I had previously said about the blood moon theory and and put it into a cohesive whole. And I will play the audio uh, from that in just a moment. But first, a few show notes. I released the Daniel commentary in book form both in paperback as well as Kindle. So if you had followed along with the verse-by-verse commentary on Daniel, um, this book is really that commentary, but I've added a lot to it uh, and really did, did a lot of editing and tried to really make it a, uh, a quality book. So it's finally out in, uh, in the Amazon store. So you can just Google Daniel, a commentary, Chris White, or something like that. And, of course, there's going to be links on the website Bible Prophecy Talk as well. In addition, I have taken this opportunity of putting out this Daniel commentary to re-release the paperback for Mystery Babylon. Um, There were a number of formatting issues and just some some quality control issues that I really wanted to take care of. I I have a tendency to try to put things out too quickly uh, as opposed to... Sometimes I skimp a little bit on quality. So I've went back and, and really tried to make that a, a New Year's resolution, not just for um, uh, these kinds of projects, but for everything, for podcasting and everything else, that I want to try to make it as quality as possible and stop trying to just uh, throw things out there. So anyway, re-released the Mystery Babylon paperback uh, at the same time that I have re-released the, released the Daniel. Okay, moving on to discussions about this podcast and what the future of it will be really quickly. Um, Bible Prophecy Talk is where the action is going to be for a while. Those of you that are listening to this on the Nowhere to Run feed, I'm taking a brief hiatus from that podcast and going to focus more energy over here. So uh, if you are not subscribed to the Bible Prophecy Talk podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, I would highly encourage you to do that um, because... I'm trying to really fast track a project that is uh, something I really, really want to do, and that is the uh, well. It's it, it's going to come out chapter by chapter. I'm going to release it as a podcast as I go. I've got one in the can already, so it should be released pretty soon. Also, in addition to posting the chapters as I complete them for this upcoming project, I'm going to be um, posting things like uh, the debates. I just got done with a debate with uh, uh, Doug Krieger, who has co-written a book about uh, Mystery Babylon being America. Um, that audio, I'm excited to release that, But and I did that a few weeks ago, but the it was done on Douglas Hamp's radio show, and the producer had a, had a technical malfunction, and the, the, the hard drive failed and a number of things, so they're trying to recover it. They think it's possible to recover it, but... As soon as they do, literally the minute that they release that, I will post that as a podcast over here at BibleProphecyTalk.com. I really um, enjoy that debate atmosphere, and I'll talk more about that when I release that particular audio. 
Okay, moving on to the main portion of this podcast, which is going to be the Blood Moon Theory Debunked presentation. This is going to be an audio, but if you're more visually oriented, you may prefer watching the video. The video is really good. It uh, was uh, produced in part by my good friend Aaron, who has been really a great asset for me. He's a great animator and, and other things, and he's been helping me to produce higher quality videos, so I am really thankful for him. Also thankful for Benjamin Beauvais, another friend who has come along and really helped me uh, step up my game with article writing. He's a great writer and another great asset, so I'm happy to be working with both of these gentlemen to produce higher quality uh, videos about topics that I think people will be interested in in short, condensed ways. That's kind of a focus of this project is to put out less than 15-minute videos about interesting Bible prophecy topics. Um, though Benjamin and I are also working on a project to expand on the Blood Moon Theory debunking and to get into more details. So stay tuned for that if you're interested. But uh, for now, this is, as I said, a theory that is taking the Bible prophecy world by storm. It's just amazing how popular this is right now. And uh, I think you'll see uh, or hear uh, after listening to this podcast that it's a really unfounded theory and something that we ought not to give much credence, in my opinion. So without any further delay, let me play the audio from this uh, Blood Moon Theory debunked, and I want to encourage you, if you see the video or or just this podcast, to share it. Uh, as always, you can take the videos that I put out and you can do anything you want with them. You can upload them to your channel, give them new names. Um, new names are really important when you upload videos because it gets to a whole new audience. So you can upload this and call it a different name, some other kind of theory, that, or Four Blood Moons debunked, or John Hagee debunked, or Mark Biltz debunked, or whatever. Uh, the more that we do that, the more people that we can reach with this. So at any rate, let's just get right to it, and I will see you on the other side. There's been a lot of attention recently about the so-called blood moon theory originally conceived by Mark Biltz of El Shaddai Ministries. In fact, as we speak, John Hagee's book, Four Blood Moons, which is basically a retelling of Biltz's theory, sits on top of Amazon's bestseller list. Let me first explain what this theory is for those of you that haven't heard it yet. Joel 2.31 says, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Mark Biltz wondered if this verse could simply be referring to a lunar and solar eclipse. Following his curiosity, he went to the NASA Eclipse website, which has a compiled list of all lunar and solar eclipses dating from 2000 BC to 3000 AD. Using the NASA site, Biltz saw that there were a number of solar and lunar eclipses in the future. The ones he focused in on were the lunar tetrads. This means a series of four lunar eclipses within a space of about two years. Biltz then compared the dates of these tetrads against the Jewish calendar. He discovered that many of these tetrads, as well as other solar eclipses, fall on Jewish feast days. Biltz wondered if such occurrences had happened in the past. He found six occasions in history that the lunar eclipse tetrads have coincided with Jewish feast days. Cross-referencing these dates with Jewish historical events, Biltz claimed the following connections between these tetrads and significant events in Jewish history. For example, he says that the tetrad that occurred in 1493 through 1494 corresponded with the Spanish Inquisition. He says that the tetrad that occurred in 1949 through 1950 corresponded with the 1948 War of Independence. And he says that the tetrad that occurred in 1967 through 1968 corresponded with the Six-Day War. 
Biltz and John Hagee suggest that because, according to this model, significant events in Jewish history have transpired around the time of blood moon tetrads, the upcoming blood moon tetrad of 2014 and 2015 will herald significant events related to biblical prophecy, citing that these eclipses are fulfilling the sun, moon, and star signs in the Bible. The question is, how does this theory bear up against biblical scrutiny and common sense? The answer is, not very good. And the following are just a few reasons why. The first thing we need to critique is that what is being described by Biltz and Hagee is the same thing as what the Bible describes. The Bible speaks of the so-called sun, moon, and star sign several times. Here is an example from Revelation 6, 12-13. And I beheld, and when he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Also from Matthew 24:29, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Examining the full texts about this event show that in addition to the sun and moon going dark, the stars also go dark. The Bible describes this sign as a global darkness that covers the whole planet. Whatever this is, it will not simply make the sun and moon go dark, but also the stars in the sky. This is obviously something more than an eclipse. If I were to guess, it would have to be something in the atmosphere that blocks out the entire sky altogether. Or it could be a supernatural event that causes this universal darkness. The only way that Biltz and Hagee seem to get around this is by quoting Joel 2.31 most often because in that verse, only the sun and moon are mentioned. However, if you look 21 verses before this, you will see that Joe also intended his readers to know that the stars would go dim as a result of this event as well. Joel 2.10 says, The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. It is also made crystal clear by God in Ezekiel 32.7-8 that universal darkness is what is meant here. It says, And when I shall put thee out, I will cover the heaven, and make the stars thereof dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give her light. All the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over thee, and set darkness upon the land, saith the Lord God. So unless Biltz and Hagee want to try to explain how these eclipses will make all the stars and every other light in the sky dark at the same time, then they should admit that what they're talking about is not the same thing as what the Bible is predicting. We also see from the other mentions of this event that it includes an earthquake. And as we've seen, John called it a great earthquake. Joel said, quote, the earth shall quake before them. This is the same problem. This great earthquake is an integral part of the so-called sun, moon, and star sign. There is nothing about an eclipse, even four of them, that would cause an earthquake. In addition, it should be obvious to anyone reading the verses that we have quoted that these events occur simultaneously, on the same day and at the same time. And it's literally impossible for a solar eclipse and a lunar eclipse to occur simultaneously. All you have to do is look at why and how these eclipses occur, and you'll see that that is not a possibility. So this theory in no way fulfills the biblical sun, moon, and star sign, but perhaps it's just a means of God to warn Israel of coming events. In other words, perhaps because, according to Bilt and Hagee, the last time these tetrads occurred near Jewish holidays, significant things happened to Israel, perhaps significant things will happen again in 2014-2015. 
So we are setting aside the idea that this has biblical significance and looking only to see if we should expect this tetrad to be a warning to Israel of some kind, even though it's not about prophecy. The first point, when reviewing the historical accuracy of Biltz's claim that Jewish history seems to converge with lunar eclipse tetrads that fall on Jewish feast days, we find that it's not very accurate at all. So the first thing that we need to do is examine Hagee and Biltz's assertion that these tetrads actually lined up with significant events at all. So often we simply take for granted that this is true, and as we will see, that would be a huge mistake. Did you know that there were actually two other tetrad events that fell on Jewish holidays that Biltz found in the NASA computers? Well, he did, but he doesn't like to say much about those because, even according to him, nothing significant happened on those two occasions. Right there, that should give us pause. Okay, so how do we know that this upcoming tetrad in 2014-2015 won't be another dud like the other two that they don't like to mention? Based on these numbers, so far almost half, almost 50% of these tetrads on Jewish holidays don't mean a thing, even by their own admission. Another point is that the dates of the historical events for which these tetrads supposedly correlate do not seem to correlate very well at all to the dates of the tetrads themselves. For example, the Spanish Inquisition actually started some 15 years before the 1493-94 tetrad and ended roughly 350 years later. They try to give this some credibility by saying that what the Tetrad is really connected with is the so-called Alhambra Decree issued on the 31st of March, 1492, which officially expelled the Jews from Spain. But even then, the first eclipse didn't occur until over a year later, and the last eclipse over two years later. So unless you call being off by a year God's way of predicting something, then this isn't a match. The next so-called match is supposed to be when Israel declared its independence in 1948 and won the war for independence the same year. The dates of the 1949-1950 Tetrad, again, didn't occur until over a year later and didn't fall on any of the dates of Israel's victories or on the day that the UN recognized them as a state or any other significant date. Trust me, if there was any significance to the actual dates of these Tetrads, you would have heard about it. But the best they can do is, as we will see in the next one, coming within 10 months of an event. So yeah, the last one they say occurred in conjunction with the Six-Day War. But in reality, it didn't start until 10 months after the war ended. And the last eclipse didn't occur until a full year after that. Again, these three obvious non-matches look even worse when you consider that they have already thrown two sets of historical tetrads in the trash because they couldn't find any historical events to match them with. So these three represent the best of the best, and that is pretty sad. So within two years is close enough for them. And nowadays, apparently, close counts not just with horseshoes and hand grenades, but also blood moon theories. If Biltz and Hagee are really suggesting that God uses these tetrads as a means of communicating to Israel about coming events, where were the warnings about the far greater and far worse events that the Jewish people have faced? Why didn't God warn them about the Holocaust or 70 A.D.? or the expulsion from Rome, or the following persecution. What's more interesting to me is what you have to leave out in order to believe this theory. Why did God pick the Spanish Inquisition to warn them about and nothing else? And if this was a warning, why did it come a year too late for anyone to do anything about it? Furthermore, why are some of the tetrads denoting good events, while others bad events? The Spanish Inquisition right next to the victory of the Six-Day War. There seems to be no rhyme or reason to it. The next point. Israel uses a lunar calendar and they base their feast days upon the phases of the moon. Logic would dictate that because of this fact alone, lunar eclipses will fall on Jewish feast days with some regularity. 
In an article published by Answers in Genesis regarding Biltz's blood moon theory, they commented on the rarity of total lunar eclipses following on Passover and Sukkot in this way. Quote, no, it's really not that unusual. Remember, a lunar eclipse happens only at a full moon. We don't follow a strictly lunar calendar today, but most ancient people, including the Hebrews, did. Their months began with the first appearance of the crescent of the new moon, which is a day or so after the modern definition of a new moon, when the moon and the sun are in longitudinal conjunction. Reckoning from this point, 14 days later, or the 15th of the month, always coincides with a full moon. The article then discusses the frequency in which lunar eclipses fell on Passover and Sukkot, the same feast days as in the blood moon theory. They start off here by mentioning that so far in the 20th century, this has happened 37 times. Quote, we can say that all 37 of these lunar eclipses coincided with Passover or Sukkot. This is about one-sixth, 37 out of 230, of the 20th century lunar eclipses, which is about what we'd expect because Passover and Sukkot happened in two of the 12 months. The relatively high frequency is a result of definition of the 15th day of the month on the lunar calendar. Therefore, again, the coincidence of lunar eclipses with these two observances is more common than Biltz realizes. So do you understand what they're saying? They're saying that lunar eclipses are so common on these particular Jewish holidays that it's occurred 37 times just in the 20th century. They are so common that Biltz and Hagee have had to essentially say, okay, yeah, eclipses on these Jewish holidays do happen all the time, but how about two eclipses within two years of one another? Oh, that's common too? Well, how about four eclipses within two years of one another? Oh, that's common too? Well, how about we throw two of those away and only look at the other three and twist those a bit, and then we'll have something to write a book about. On the whole, the blood moon theory proposed by Mark Biltz and John Hagee falls short of the biblical standards required for the sun, moon, star, and earthquake sign that's supposed to herald the beginning of the day of the Lord. It fails to demonstrate any real and lasting correlation with Israel's past, and it seems little more than fluff and hype. In conclusion, I actually agree that significant events are on the horizon for Israel, and even possibly of biblical proportions. But to suggest that any significant events which might occur in the next couple years are in any way related to the Tetrad eclipses of 2014-2015 would be akin to me saying that my team won the Super Bowl because I wore my lucky jersey. Thanks for your time. Okay, again, if you are a visually oriented person, or really even if you're not, I think you'll get more out of the video. Some of the visual cues will help you to understand the things that I just said a little bit better. And, and uh, again, if you do that, consider sharing it. Facebook, Twitter, you can re-upload it to your YouTube site. Whatever you want. You have my full permission to do all that. Again, I want, wanted to remind you the Daniel Commentary is out on Amazon. The Mystery Babylon book is re-released. And to subscribe to this podcast, the Bible Prophecy Talk podcast on iTunes, as this is where the action will be for the next few months as I complete this uh, very intense project that I want to focus on quite a bit. Thanks for everybody that supports the show and for listening. I really appreciate it. It really helps me to continue uh, what I believe to be an important work. Thanks for your time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you would like a free copy of the Christianity 101 DVD, which contains 8 gigabytes of audio, video, and text of various discipleship materials on a data DVD, please go to any one of my websites and look for the Christianity 101 button. It's totally free, and I'll ship it to you wherever you are in the world. If you would like to support this ministry or any of the others that I do, please consider a tax-deductible donation, which can be sent by PayPal using the email chris at chriswhiteministries.com or by clicking the PayPal button on any one of my websites. Another great way to support this ministry is by writing a review of the podcast on iTunes 
or writing a review of my books on Amazon. Reviews figure very prominently into the ranking algorithms of both of those websites, and the higher they rank, the more people that can be reached. Thanks for your time and for subscribing to this feed.